0: Hola oyentes, mi nombre es Fiorella Pinillos y este es Below the Radar, a Knowledge Democracy podcast. Below the Radar is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squahamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, our host Am Johal is joined by architect and Heritage Vancouver president Javier Campos to chat about reframing the conversation on heritage. Que lo disfruten.
1: Hi there, welcome to Below the Radar. Delighted that you could join us again this week. We're really excited to have Javier Campos with us from Heritage uh, Vancouver and many, many uh, other things. Uh, Welcome, Javier. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, i wondering if we can begin with you introducing yourself a little bit.
0: Uh, I certainly can. I I think that we're going to be talking about heritage. So even before I introduce myself, I think it's important to um, talk about that this conversation will be framed around Vancouver, which you know is a city that's existed 30, less than 200 years. And it's certainly important to acknowledge that in any talk about heritage, we need to know that this land has been inhabited for thousands of years before the settlers arrived. And the fact that this talk will likely be framed around Western concepts and the city of Vancouver, that this should certainly not be taken as a sign that we're not in need and important need of addressing the detrimental legacy of uh, the colonial project that we have here. Having said that, my name is Javier Campos, and I have been the president of the Heritage Vancouver Society for the past eight years. Through those eight years, we've been working very hard on reframing the heritage conversation and the um, ideas that we use to frame heritage uh, I'm also the principal of Campo Studio, which is a design firm based in Vancouver that draws on the uh, Pacific Northwest critical regionalist tradition. And uh, we work along mainly the Pacific coast over from Mexico up to Haida Have
1: Javier, Heritage Vancouver has taken a novel approach to looking at what heritage means and certainly uh, different than perhaps itself as an organization looked at it and certainly how other cities might be framing it in a conventional sense. And can you maybe describe the approach that Heritage Vancouver is taking, that you're taking in the past few years in terms of reimagining what heritage could be, might be,
0: is intended to be? Maybe should be, since we're militant. In any case, uh, I think that, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate to have found a a group of like-minded individuals that really eight years ago and before started to see heritage as cultural production. And uh, really saw the need to change the conversation that's been going around uh, Heritage in, in Vancouver. Certainly, I know this is relatively recent history, but it does seem like a, another lifetime considering all the things that have gone on, not just in the past couple of years, but you know, the, the epistemic shifts that we've had. I think that when we started, we saw that Heritage was a conversation based on premises that went largely unquestioned. And I think we felt that heritage and heritage discourse is anything but neutral. I think, you know, as part of, if we see it as part of cultural production, we see that it lives within our messy world of politics and interests and other things. And therefore, that needs to be talked about and brought out. I think for us at Heritage Vancouver, we certainly see heritage as not as uh, an immutable practice, but something that uh, changes and moves between progressive and reactionary impulses that happen within our city. And this is an important change for us. You know, it's incredible, incredibly important for us to let people know about heritage because it's one of those things that is almost like world peace or something. It's some general statement that people think it's something, but it's actually something else. I'm not sure that, you know, you can ask everybody, they'll give you a different answer, but certainly everybody thinks they know what heritage is. And it's really for us very contested ground that needs to be explored. I think if you allow me, I would like to go down a small tangential avenue to, uh, I think, give a brief historical context to heritage. I think it's important for us to understand where it comes from and how it's been conceived over time in order that we understand where we are with it now. I think, you know, it seems that heritage has been around forever, but really heritage as we know it now was invented in the in the late 1800s in England and I think very much in the mold of Finovsky's idea around the creation of the classical world that there's this epistemic break between where we are now and what we see as the past and therefore we this distance we see this past and we try to define it and create, create something out of it that's distinct from ourselves. And this is very different than living in the culture in a moment of cultural production, which you wouldn't do that. One of the things that's incredibly interesting about this, which this is called antiquarian or archaeological heritage, was that you really had to have something that was a ruin. So if you had something that was alive, it was an abbey that people were still using, it wasn't considered heritage because that was still considered to be living and not part of the past. And this was incredibly important because, you know, we have a past that's discrete and different. And something that for our, from our current condition we see is worth preserving. This heritage conceived as another, the bones of a dead culture that has a lot to say about us, that we feel that our present needs something from the past. And this is really geared like with this early modernization that we see. And so people are looking for values of the past, something that we see at this time. And really this set out some, what I believe are kind of reactionary roots that are quite pernicious in heritage. This, you know, it's quite, it can be quite a reactionary practice and something we have to live with. This kind of heritage, you know, went along for a while, and then there was a kind of second iteration that came to be known as commemorative heritage. This, I think, was something quite familiar with uh, something that certainly Stephen Harper was keen on bringing back and have a swallow hook, line, and sinker about nation building. This commemorative, you know, some of the examples that are always given are like Mount Vernon, you know, George Washington's home, this is this, or you know, the Fort Anne of the Annapolis Valley in Nova Scotia. These are not rooted in place anymore, they're rooted in events. And these events were selective in the way that they were brought out. You know, we see this, this shift from object to events, uh, is there events that are significant to nation building and the creation of a myth. And this is a place where heritage develops some really dark roots, I think. Because by tying itself to the creation of these myths and the advancement of the colonial settler project, it begins to silence the voices of those who are inconvenient and oppositional to that end. And so we see a lot of exclusion in heritage and the creation of this one story. And I think this is a legacy that remains with us today as part of the heritage discourse. Then we see a kind of other shift that happens as society becomes more technocratic And so the late 19th century, earlier 20th century, where heritage really adopts the role of the expert or the arbiter of excellence or some idea that we can get to something that was the epitome of whatever we're looking at. And one of the things is, you know, Williamsburg in the United States became Williamsburg and that was the style and that's the thing and it spawned a complete industry around this. You know, you can buy Williamsburg-inspired color, you know, paints and this and that and shingles and things to get back to this authen—this this one thing. We've seen it here. You know, we have Upper Canada Village, right, where they went in. And even though all the buildings were the same age, they tore some buildings out because they were deemed deficient. And so the myth overall had to wrap this thing around what it was. And it's something that's ongoing today that's, you know, somewhat disturbing to me because it's this erasure and changing of history. I was at the... Um, National Trust Conference and somebody was talking about Lunenburg in Nova Scotia and there's these houses and they have two the style calls for two venting dormers on the roof and so they were renovating an original house right you know from the original period that had three dormers and so they had to make a decision do they stick with what was built then or do they transform the house to conform to their ideas of what the style is. And sadly, they took the dormer out and made two, because they really needed it to conform. And and, and this is very strange, from because you're rewriting history, and this really brought about this idea of the you know that we see in a kind of legacy in our city, around what we, either what we call character or the craftsman style, and all these ideas that become prescriptive guidelines that create this idea of fake heritage and Disneyfication. and that remains of course to this day these are kind of three contesting all these, these have tendrils. And one of the things that, you know, is old, but new to, you know, relatively new to, to a lot of heritage discourses is, you know, after the post birth of the environmental movement, we saw a much more interesting interest in a holistic approach you know, of, of a system, of something that was larger than the object mm. and to create these pockets, these ecological pockets. And it is called, Ecological heritage. And that was quite interesting because it moves the focus from an object, an event, or something that some expert deems to be of high quality to a community. And how does that community work and how do we support this community? And this is still ongoing today and something that at Heritage Vancouver we really sort of like to adopt. It's like how do we support the communities that they write their heritage for themselves? And that we do that and one of the last major shifts that happened was this idea of intangible heritage. An intangible heritage is not about objects. It's actually about cultural practices. And this is what are the cultural practices that we need to preserve, whatever they may be. And this is about knowledge transfer. And this, these are deemed to be important things that we have, I think, to us The real point of this digression, you know, was to understand the work of Heritage Vancouver and what it's based on and to actually understand the history of heritage and what we are in opposition to these ideas that keep going on here. I was hoping to give a sense of the complexity of the discourse and to ensure that sort of more current ideas around heritage circle around cultural production and that they're rooted in, in in the communities that they're based in.
1: This isn't your grandparents' heritage, Vancouver. This is today's heritage, Vancouver.
0: Exactly, and there'll be a tomorrow's <laughs> heritage, Vancouver. Exactly, we'll have all those heritage Vancouver's that we need to have, and yeah. it's no joke. But it's certainly something that we talk about because we certainly at the it's a society talk about. You know, it'll be somebody else's. They'll change, and uh, we, we base it on this idea that our. Whatever we think today may not be good tomorrow.
1: Javier, there's some uh, important processes that have been unfolding in, in recent years, including conversations around the Heritage Action Plan at the City of Vancouver, the early beginnings of a citywide plan consultation. You recently spoke on a panel on complete neighborhoods related to that. And what are your some of your thoughts on the, as the city develops its own plans, kind of what some of the blind spots uh, might be, particularly as it relates to how heritage is thought about, but also at
0: the level of of neighborhood? I mean, this this is a very interesting conversation to have. You know, the Heritage Action Plan was a very well-intended, progressive-leaning piece of work that was undertaken at great cost. People devoted a lot of times. It was significant for us to revamp the heritage policies that existed for 25 years, but you know, ultimately it's a moribund document. It hasn't gone anywhere, not really through any fault of its own. It's just that the ground that underpinned the principles on which the Heritage Action Plan was based suddenly shifted in a radical way. And so that was one of those cases where what they were thinking five years ago no longer had, you know, the relevance that it could have had. Had it been done 10 years before, it would have been a fantastic document, and now it's not. But that really speaks to the point of how how much things have shifted. And so I think it'll be an interesting document to see how to resurrect some of the things that are in it, you know, in terms of heritage practice. But it's certainly there as for the city plan it's 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 very difficult it's it's been a rather opaque process and the city has really tried to shift i mean they went kind of hard right on preservation and then they went you know hard progressive on on trying to do reconciliation and we don't know a lot about it honestly of some of the stuff but uh you know in my opinion i think one of the main things it can do and address is to, for, for heritage to recognize and address the role which heritage discourse has played in systematically excluding communities and the voices of those whose story didn't conform to the colonial narrative that Vancouver heritage policy is based on.
1: Well, I'm wondering at the level of the neighborhood, what are some things that the city could be looking at or perhaps examples from other cities in terms of the preservation of neighborhoods from a from a heritage perspective?
0: Well I think the main thing that it has to do is first, you know, move away from the reliance that it's had on on objects on the urban form. That's that's the number one thing it can it has to do. And it's it's a very, you know, inglorious history I think. As I mentioned at the talk on, on the complete neighborhoods, you know, we have this idea of the monster home that's you know has made its surfaced many, many times in the discourse of Vancouver and its urban fabric. And you know, really it's it's a proxy for aesthetic inadequacy and 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 really for a kind of native nativist racism, concealed in heritage policies. It's based on that expert idea and on our traditions of colonial settler history. So I would say that, you know, we need to move away from that and move away from making decisions that, that, you know, this this building, this house, this park is not worthy of something and really engage the communities to help them to write their own history. It is their right to create their own heritage, their right to have their heritage recognized within our city, whether it be underclass communities, Filipino communities, Chinese communities, whatever it is, Chilean communities, you know, Whatever it is, I think that that's it's more of a facilitator role to help communities feel recognized within our urban fabric, and I think that's something they could do to neighborhoods. javier you you
1: mentioned earlier in your comments around the contemporary conversations on heritage can't overlook the reality of the dispossession of indigenous lands and the forms of violence that it that it took and and in, in the in the contemporary context new developments such as Sunak by the Squamish Nation, others by MST development, they have the, the possibility to rewrite the narrative of what heritage is in terms of what built form these developments might take. How would you describe the tension between the more traditional heritage advocates and the forms of development that are going to be happening in the coming years, particularly those led
0: by local nations? I mean, that's a tough question for me because, you know, it's actually not not necessarily my battle because, you know, I'm not on those, what I would consider sort of more regressive groups, you know, that are there. You know, I think a lot of that stuff is tied in the protection of property and continue the legacy of systemic racism is things that we don't do. But having said that, you know, I don't really see any reason why these groups should not be allowed to write their own history and I don't I don't feel that we have any anything to stand on to judge what they're going to do if if if, if they want to do mega towers that look are dystopian. Right. It, it is their right to do that. And, and I think there is the, we should not idealize these communities and what they want to do. Our real role is to give them the space them to do what they want to do they will live with their heritage I, I think it's incredibly interesting you know their land tenure model which they don't give up the land is it, i think is quite radical and incredibly interesting and i think that's if i was to say anything i would make the flow the other way for the city of vancouver to understand that they shouldn't be selling their land off they should keep keeping their land and then they can reevaluate it and and make it useful for its citizens for the greater good and we have lots of models of that around the world and so any kind of community i don't think that we are you know have the the ability or the right to to tell them i think it's just you know that's what that's what they do that's what these communities do and i and i think there's a lot of interesting things that they're doing there's probably things i would disagree on but it's not my it's not for me to say
1: historic neighborhoods in vancouver like chinatown the punjabi market many many others have had Huge gentrification pressures the past few decades as the city has had overall across its neighborhoods. Uh, from your perspective, what can be done better to preserve historic neighborhoods that carry
0: some of that living heritage within them? You know, this is a tough question, and it's probably I probably have deviant thoughts on this. You know, compared to a lot of people, but at the end of the day, I mean, w- what does preservation really mean? Uh, you know, are we just meant to keep the urban fabric and? create a Soho where we, you know, it looks like Punjabi market, but it's full of people, you know, created scarcity and demand. And there's lots of wealthy people living there. You know, are we freezing the neighborhood? Are we making a ghetto? I mean, I think one of the things that we need to remember is that these are ghettos. That's what they were, right? I mean, Chinatown was not a place that, you know, was like, hey, I want to go live in Chinatown. It was like, hey, here's a bunch of colonial people saying we don't want you living anywhere else. You know, and then people go to these communities. And I think what we really need to do is, in a way, support these communities. And, and it's hard for me to think about freezing anything, because at the end of the day, cities are dynamic and changing. And the real questions for me are, like are, like Gauguin said, you know, where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? And I think that Heritage can help with some of these questions, because the real thing for me is to focus on the reasons for the change. And at the end of the day, gentrification is a complex system, you know, it comes at the confluence of wealth generation, urban land policies and things that really don't have much to do with heritage. We don't have Neil Smith to help us out anymore, but, you know, we we know that it's another process altogether. And I think for me, what I don't support is change that is imagined outside of a community and change that has been brought about for the purpose of wealth generation and benefiting people outside of that community. There's a kind of exploitative model in that point. Whereas I think the change that's directed and conceived by the community itself and that benefits that community itself is where we need to aim. And and that's where I think Heritage can help empower these communities, help them understand, you know, their, their urban fabric, what they are. So for me, it's not really a model of like, what do we do to preserve the urban fabric. It's how do we support the people that are living there, to to be in charge of their of their fate and what they want to do. I mean, it could be that people in the in Punjabi market want to have a you know type of skyri- you know skyscrapers there, <laughs> and and because of, for whatever reason, and uh, are we going to say no 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 no? You see, wait a minute. You know, the heritage is this and you need to do this and that's not really for us to say but it's really for us to help them determine and, and, and determine their future so i think it's like the the sort of knee jerk reaction action that we need to preserve these things it, you know it's difficult like i'm not and I, again deviant thoughts that you know i'm not against the kind of d- densification of chinatown i'm just completely against how it's being done <laughs> and who it's being done for right and the way that it's patronizing towards the community. I think this is a problem. The change is not the problem. It's actually how the change is being done. I know you,
1: that you defined um, heritage in a set of ways and gave a background to its histories, but Historically Heritage Vancouver has looked at buildings and public spaces that have historic and historical and heritage value that are currently under uh, threat that uh, oftentimes Cherokee of Vancouver is articulating in in public why it would like to see something preserved, I'm just wondering, from your vantage point, are there three or four examples of either uh, buildings or public spaces that you think are worthy of preservation or are are are, are seemingly under threat uh, under the
0: present uh, development processes underway? You know, I mean, that would be such a personal answer that I don't, you know, for me, it's again, with everything that I've said before, it's really up to each community to determine what it is. I have my own biases, you know, being, working in architecture, you know, like there's certain buildings that I like for my own reasons or there's certain, you know, neighborhoods. But I really believe at the end of the day that it's, you know, it's, it's always framed in this idea, like, you know, how do we, how do we incorporate the new into the old, and and I don't see it that way. I kind of see it as how do we incorporate the old into the new, understanding that our city is constantly changing and shifting and that, you know, we have to preserve some of that history as we go along. But that history is different for all of us. And so, you know, the buildings that I would choose, I don't know which buildings have, you know, cultural significance for everyone in the city. And so there are things that I would say that are for me, important. But, you know, anything else is kind of based on this grand narrative. And that's why, like, you know, when Heritage Vancouver actually started, they started as a reaction against the the, the demolitions that they saw. And I, and I would argue that it was a kind of very reactionary kind of organization, but it was of its time. That's what it was of its time. And it didn't question things. And, you know, they they want to save old houses and things. And, they, you know, they did save things like, the you know, they helped save the Lionsgate bridge and they worked on the Barard, you know, they work on big projects as well, but you know, those days of the grand narrative are no longer with us. Or if they are, then you're in a different different political sphere as far as you know, I, I would see it. And so I respectfully don't want to answer your question.
1: Fair enough. Good. That's a good answer. What are some examples of other cities from your vantage point that you think are taking a more progressive approach to heritage in the way that you've described it historically, some of the uh, the kind of contemporary tensions uh, inside of the question of heritage. What are places that are looking at these questions in, in a far more interesting way
0: than we are, than we might be here? You know, again, it's, it's a difficult question because each city is an individual city and translation is difficult. But in general, I think I would say that, uh, the cities that are doing good heritage work are the cities that understand heritage as cultural production and their heritage programs are cultural programs, you know, and we have a lot of that, you know, there's this models in, in, in Vienna and other places. And I think that the ones that I would consider that are not doing well are the ones that are clinging on to the idea, uh, you know, with a single-minded focus on the preservation of urban form, whether it be buildings or things it's not that preservation is not important. I mean, I'm not I'm not. People are always confuse that when I talk that I'm against preservation, but it's not. It's actually it, it's a, really for me a question of why and for whom. Those are the two important things when we do preservation. And the cities that are have programs alluding to this are doing a, a very good job in my mind because they're being progressive and, and leading the way.
1: Javier, I'm wondering, we haven't had a chance to speak about what you do besides your voluntary role as president of Heritage Vancouver. You do have an architecture studio practice, and wondering if you can talk about
0: the kinds of things that you're thinking about now and, and working on now in, in your other work. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think. You know, in our studio, definitely, you know, one of the things our, our studio is based on. And it's this idea that uh, some of the things that carry over to Heritage Vancouver, I mean, we certainly don't believe in grand narratives. And uh, we certainly are very rooted in, in the idea of place and culture as we work. And you can see is rising out of the... Uh, Critical regionalist tradition that's was spawned here and in, in, in the west coast of being you know having uh, buildings that are rooted in place I mean for us, if we do something successfully, we would imagine that you can't take that building and place it anywhere else like for us that, that would be something we keep be exploring these ideas as we work along the coast. I think as you know, we work all the way from Baja California and Mexico up to guay and we earn different climatic zones and they allow us to explore very different ways of Inhabiting space, and based on the climate, we pay a lot of attention to you know the things that people pay attention to. We're kind of excited, you know. We're uh, we just uh, got published in a a book on small houses, which is very exciting, out of Barcelona, and then we're in a small exhibition in, in Venice, and dying to go. But you know, I'm not sure that Trudeau has sent me the letter that I can actually go to Venice. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is a funny show because it was called the hundred best houses. It was supposed to happen last year. Now it's a 140 best houses. <laughs> it just added a few for this year. Uh, so anyways, so we're hoping to be able to do that. And you you've had a practice
1: very much built around for a very long time around sustainability and ecological approaches to architecture as well. Right.
0: I have, I was, I was incredibly fortunate in my life that, you know, my first project was, uh, uh my first commission was an off-the-grid house in Mexico. You know, this, we're talking back, you know, 20 years ago when the, that wasn't the thing. And, you know, these ideas of serendipity, I'd been in South America and I ran into somebody who was doing rural electrification and his partner worked on the first fully off-the-grid house in North America and then uh, really learned a lot about how to do passive design and, and understanding this ideas around our work and uh, we've been doing some teaching in Panama that we we use this as the basis for the studio is this idea that through the Gogan Kuiper map you can understand climate along 23 axis so you can find areas of the world you know Baja California has a lot of similarities to areas in Tunisia and parts of Australia and then if we take that and then we look at the pre-modern architecture in other words the indigenous architecture had didn't rely on energy inputs in order to provide a habitable climate, we can then extract from those ideas that we can use in our own architecture to create passive designs. So, you know, we're trying to tap on this idea of, you know, people lived in the arid desert for thousands of years and they were able to figure out how to do it. You know, who am I to think that I'm going to come and invent something new? Whereas, you know, I can do it in a very contemporary way that reflects my time here on the earth in this moment, but I can certainly draw on their knowledge. So we—that's we, the work we continue to do—is based on that, and that's a really interesting uh, piece of, uh, of of our work. And we're always looking for new locations because then it gets exciting, you know. <laughs> we do a lot of research whenever we do something new. Javier, anything you'd like to like to add? I think it's really one of the things for people to take away from this around heritage. For me, it's like. Heritage is, is, is an important part of, of how to understand ourselves. I always, you know, was always thought curious when I first started why I would be involved in heritage. I don't do any heritage work. I have not much to do with heritage. You know, when we, when we do heritage work, we 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 really do a lot of research. And to me, it's like learning a dead language, right? It's like you know we learn to speak this dead language that we no longer use, and we do it. But you know, heritage is incredibly important because it's like other narratives. And that we use, they're stories that help to define ourselves. At the end of the day, and it's um, important to understand that you know, as much as we tell ourselves these things, these stories can also define the limits of our thinking, right? So it's 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 important to question those because they also limit the possibilities of the future if you're too entrenched in your discourse. We need to understand that heritage is is part of our narrative that we need to explore it so we can have different possible futures. And I think the work at Heritage Vancouver is quite interesting because we keep exploring the idea of heritage in order to present new possibilities for the future so through understanding you know, what we had in the past. Javier,
1: thank you so much for joining us on uh, Below the Radar. And uh, we look forward to working with you at SFU and Heritage Vancouver to get the Shaping Vancouver series going again. Uh, thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Em. Appreciate the time. This has been our conversation with Javier Campos. Head to the show notes to find links to Heritage Vancouver, Campos Studio, and some of the other projects mentioned in this interview. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Below the Radar.